Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. This morning's scripture uh, is out of Luke 9, verse 28 through 36. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Awesome. So one of my, my favorite passages and, and kind of sermons to teach are those stories, especially where Jesus interacts with someone, maybe the sinful woman, maybe the blind man, some, some cool story where we can, I love to tell stories and kind of jump into a story and it's easy for us to apply those and kind of see how that fits. Today is not one of those days. Today is a, I'll just tell you, this is a weird passage of scripture. And uh, it can appear today to read this and be like, this sounds like some sort of fairy tale type thing. This is really mysterious. And, and here's what I'll tell you. This is a mysterious event. This is a supernatural event. An event that I don't even necessarily have categories for. And something that you and I, living now 2,000 years later, not being Jews, Gentiles, that we could totally miss its significance. So read over this and be like, that's kind of cool, kind of weird. And then, okay, let's move on to another story. But I hope today, I hope, I've spent a long time trying to understand this for myself. My goal today is to hopefully bring this into a context that we can understand and we can start to see the, how meaningful this was, just, just like it was to these disciples that saw this thing that happened. But it is out there. I'll just tell you that. It's a little up in the clouds uh, today. Um, but just to remind you, if you're here and you call yourself a Christian, here's what you believe. That a being that has always existed spoke the earth into existence. And that as he spoke, things happened and things started being created. And this being that existed forever that started speaking spoke humans into existence. And he made humans in his own image and he blessed them and gave them this job to help the earth continue to flourish. That that humanity rebelled against him, bringing in this kingdom of darkness and suffering and death. And now there's a separation between this holy creator being and this group of people He could have left it that way. He could have removed himself from creation for all of eternity and just said, you know what? You want a life apart from me? You have it. But he didn't. And he starts with one man named Abraham and and through many generations, 
This person named Jesus comes on the scene, claims to be God. By the way, he's a carpenter, but he walks on water and heals people. He gets executed as an enemy of the state, promises that he will rise again. His disciples say he did. Eventually ascends into the clouds, and one day we'll come back, and you can be saved if you believe in him through faith. That's what you believe. Makes you question, like, what? Right? There, is there not a mystery to this faith? That would be, yes, or is it just me? You guys, come on. We're going to do this. I'm going to do this. Don't make me get sassy. I know some of you just ran a half marathon this morning. I will call on you. I know you're tired right now. This, there's, a mis, there, there's a mystery to this thing. And this passage today is part of that mystery. And here's why, again, I want us to make sure we understand. The Bible is not just this good little book that has a few rules on how to live and a couple of cool stories. The Bible is this mysterious word given to us from this creator God. It's, it is a mystery. And it is supernatural. And you're going to see that today in this story. And, and at first, it may not make much sense. I'm going to have to take some time and help us understand the context because when you read this, since you're not a Jew, it doesn't just jump out of you. It's like, oh, this is so cool. I'm going to take some time. Hopefully, we'll get there. Hang with me. Verse 28, chapter 9. Now, about eight days after saying these things, okay, these things that it's talking about, specifically, it's when Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of God, and then Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. It's kind of message of, of what it looks to like to follow Jesus. So right after this, he took with him Peter and John and James. These are three of the disciples and went up to the mountain to pray. Okay, now, when I approach these passages, these stories, I'm always asking myself questions. And, and I, I wish you could see my sermon kind of start, because it starts with just red letters, the scripture I put in red. And I start asking questions. And that's how I approach things, and I start researching those questions. And here's my first, and I have it in my notes still. Why Peter, James, and John? And you're going to see a few more characters that are going to show up later, and I had in my notes why these these other characters. Well, Peter, James, and John appear to be three of his disciples that are the closest to him. So Jesus has 12 disciples. He has a bigger group of 70, 80, 90, 100 disciples. These three are his closest, his inner circle. They were with him at all of the biggest moments of his life. And these are the three that he takes up on this mountain for this really weird thing that's going to happen. Now, why did he, and here's my next one. So why did he take these three? Well, he's closest to them. Okay, I can understand that. So he takes them up with him. But why them? Why is it important they're with him? And I don't know exactly. Um, although I will say it's really cool from the book of Deuteronomy Then Jesus quotes this himself in Matthew 18. He'll say this, every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So even in the Old Testament, um, the Jewish law, like you could not accuse someone of a crime against you if you did not have at least two witnesses. And so maybe with this event that's going to take place, it's going to be this really big marker for these Jewish believers. Maybe that's why that there needs to be two or three witnesses. I don't know exactly, but he takes... Peter, James, and John with him up to the mountain. Now, I'm not assuming all of you just know everything about your Bible or, no, or these characters, so let me jump into these characters. Peter, 
He's the oldest of the disciples. He was a fisherman. Jesus comes across to him. Actually, all of these three were fishermen. Jesus comes across all three of them and says, hey, you will follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is the, or I'm sorry, Peter's the oldest apostle. He wrote part of your New Testament. Guess what books? Come on, 1 Peter and, yeah, wow, I never knew that. Yeah, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Uh, now, you may not have known this, Peter was the main source for Mark's gospel. If you read the book of Mark, most of the, the information came from Peter for that gospel. Peter followed Christ as a disciple, became one of the apostles. Um, Peter's end, his death, he was tried and convicted for trying to spread this message of Christianity around the world, and he was convicted, just like Jesus, to be executed on a cross. But Peter, not wanting to be mistaken for being at the same level of Christ, requested himself that he be crucified upside down as not to confuse himself with Jesus. John is the youngest of the disciples. He's referred to as the beloved disciple. Now, to be fair, he refers that to himself. And John, it's always like, he always says the disciple, the beloved one. It's like, dude, that's yourself. Come on. Uh, youngest of the disciples. Oh, he's a brother of James that we find here. John's becomes a, a disciple of, and is uh, preaching the gospel in Jerusalem after Jesus has risen and resurrected and infuriates the um, leaders in Jerusalem. So he is taken outside of the city and stoned. I'm sorry, that's not John, that's James. My fault. John is arrested for preaching the gospel. He's one of the only ones not killed. He is exiled, though, sent to a small island in the Mediterranean where he lives out the rest of his days in exile that is where he received this vision and wrote the book of Revelation. That's John. James was not the brother of Jesus. There's a, it's really confusing. There's a, like two or three James in the New Testament. There's James, the brother of Jesus. This is not him. This is James, the son of Zebedee, is what he's referred to. Uh, he is the first of the disciples to die. He's the one that's preaching inside Jerusalem. Ticks everyone off. They drag him outside the city and they beat him to death with stones. They stone him. These are the three that come up on the mountain with Jesus. Peter, James, and John, his inner circle. Now verse 29. And as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And again, this is the mysterious part. His face, the appearance of his face is altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory, so kind of appeared the same way Jesus did, and spoke of his departure, that is the cross and the resurrection. They're talking with Jesus, they're having a conversation. Now, at this point, when I read this, I was like, what? Anyone else feel that? Okay, Peter, James, and John, they go up on a mountain, kind of sounds like the beginning of a joke, Right? And then all of a sudden, Jesus' face changes, his clothes start to glow, and all of a sudden, here appears two dead dudes, Elijah and Moses, with them, and they're talking, they're having a conversation about what's going to happen. Now, I read this, 
Here is my notes. I still have them. What? Question mark. That was, what I, that was my intelligent, like, what? Moses and Elijah? Question mark. Why them? Like, where did this come from? Those are the questions I wrote when I, when I first read this. What? Moses and Elijah? And where did this come from? This seems crazy. And again, let's look back at Luke's gospel. Like, so far it's made sense, right? He starts with the birth of Jesus. He starts with, then he goes to John the Baptist, this messenger, and then Jesus comes on scene. We've been following him and all these stories and these parables and miracles that he did. And now all of a sudden he's up on a mountain talking with Moses and Elijah and his face turns colored. It changes shape and his clothes glow. And I'm like, what is this? What is going on? <sighs> this passage is what's known as the transfiguration of Christ. The transfiguration of Christ. That Greek word transfiguration means metamorphosis or change. Okay, and here's what's going on. If you haven't heard about this, Jesus' fleshly human body is literally changed in a moment on this mountain, and it changes to become his glorified body that will be for eternity, that's now. That's what happens. So on this mountain, Jesus the human, remember, Jesus is fully human. He's a man, just like you and I, well, some of us are. He's a person, just like you and I are. Goes up on the mountain, and his face and his body are, in an instant, glorified. This momentary part in history where Jesus on earth becomes his glorified self. And with him are two, Moses and Elijah, two people from the Old Testament, that are also appearing in this glorified self. Now to us, that we're like, okay, weird. But again, to the Jews, to Peter and James and John, and like, Moses and Elijah are the heroes of the faith. I mean, they are the original OGs of the, the, the faith, right? They, they are the heroes. If you were a Jew in these days, and I would ask you, who is your hero? Moses, first answer. Next hero, Elijah. Those two. Right, I, I was, I've been asking people, and I'm curious to see, like, greatest Americans ever lived, name it. George Washington, it's always the first one people say. Who's the next one? Abraham Lincoln, usually, usually two, right? Trump, no, no one said that yet, sorry. Sorry, take that off the podcast. I got, got carried away. Edit. Send the emails to Hill City Elders. At, no. These are the heroes of the faith, if you're a Jew. I mean, these were the, these were the guys that as you were a little kid, and your parents, they would tell you stories about. Moses was the greatest leader of Israel's history. Greatest leader. There, you know, you know how we get together and we sing about the cross and we celebrate the cross and you wear cross necklaces. Like for, for Jewish people, for the, for the Jewish believers of Yahweh, the cross, their cross was Moses leading their people out of exile, the Red Sea party. That was, that was their biggest moment of their history. Moses is their greatest leader. He received the Ten Commandments from God up on a mountain. Right? He wrote the first five books of the Bible. If you read Genesis, start there. He wrote those. He was the hero of the faith to the Jews. So much so that the writer of Hebrews in your New Testament has a whole big passage about how Jesus is greater than Moses. <laughs> 
Because Moses was the hero, and the, and the writer of Hebrews to these New Testament believers had to be like, okay, Moses is good, but Jesus is better. He had to write about that. There is the, he's the hero. Now, if Moses is the greatest leader and the one who received the law, Elijah is considered the greatest prophet ever to live. He did some crazy, miraculous things. You can read about them in 1 Kings 17 and 19. Or in 2 Kings 1 and 2, some crazy miracles were just like these wild things happen. This was Elijah. He never died according to the Bible. Elijah never died. Uh, here's what 2 Kings says. As they, they as Elijah and Eli Elisha, which can be confusing. As they went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire... And horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Another one of those really weird, mysterious stories in the Bible. So Elijah never died. So you have Moses, the greatest leader, the giver of the law. Elijah, the greatest prophet ever, the two biggest heroes of the faith of Israel. Now, why them? Because there's other dudes that are big. Abraham's pretty important. Right? The father of that? Uh, who's some other? King David? Uh, the greatest victor of, of Israel's? Why them? That's what I wrote again. Why them? Here's a few ideas. Both Moses and Elijah had very mysterious deaths. Well, obviously, Elijah never died. But even with Moses, and I didn't know this until I started studying, but there's a lot of questions around Moses' death because no one knows where Moses is buried. With all these Old, Old Testament like patriarchs, their burial place and death place is known, historically known. Moses, no one knows. So there's some mystery there. Obviously, Elijah like, goes up into heaven in these chariots. There's some big mystery there. Um, but also, here's what we see. And again, this was new as I studied this. I didn't realize this. We hear about all these crazy miracles in the Bible, the Red Sea parting, right? Birds coming down from heaven to feed people. There are only three windows of time in all of history that the Bible records these big, world-changing, global miracles. Three times. You know what they are? Moses, Elijah, Jesus. Only times. Now, there's some times where God works supernaturally in someone, like through someone or in someone. But I'm talking like seas part type of things. These big, miraculous world-changing miracles three times. Like there's three times in history where God's space totally invades human space. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And those are the three that are talking up there. Now again, if we were Jews, we'd also see this parallel that we probably don't see. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Have you ever read your New Testament? It'll say, It'll say this phrase, and the law and the prophets bear witness to that. You ever read that? That's what's being represented here. Moses being the law, Elijah being the prophets. Now, why is this important? Well, let's go with us first. For Gentiles believer, Gentile believers, you all that are not Jews, and right after Jesus, if you were around 2,000 years ago and you started believing this guy named Jesus, here's what you wanted to do. You wanted to take that Hebrew Bible and say, that doesn't matter anymore. That's what you wanted to do. We have this new faith in Jesus. He's our Savior. All that Old Testament stuff doesn't matter. And by Jesus appearing with Moses and Elijah, 
It's saying, no, it does matter, and we can't throw it out. Big. That's a big statement for non-Jew believers. But if you're a Jew, this is even a bigger statement because with your whole being, you want to follow Yahweh, your God. That passage you guys said today in worship together, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You would say that every single day, a prayer, and it would go on and on and on, the Shema. In your bones, you want it to be faithful to Yahweh. And now this guy, Jesus, comes and says he is this God, this Messiah, and you're to follow him. And now there's this confusion, like how does this, all, of our, all the stuff we've been living, tie into this new Jesus thing? And why this is really important for the Jews is that they believed that Elijah would come to usher in this Messiah. You guys have heard us talk about this before. We see this in the last book of the Bible, Malachi chapter 3. Here's what the prophet says before 400 years of silence before Jesus. Right before that, Malachi says this, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. So the Jews are waiting on a messenger that will come prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, who was that messenger? Help me. John the Baptist, right? That's why Luke starts with, hey, this messenger came. Very particular reason for that. Now, Malachi chapter 4, this is the very end. I mean, the last words of God before 400 years of silence before Jesus comes. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So the Jews were waiting on Elijah to come. That's why when John the Baptist comes on the scene, what do people ask him? Hey, are you Elijah? They were waiting on Elijah to come. That's what, that was your hope. You were waiting on the Messiah, but you knew that God promised that before the Messiah would come, this messenger, this Elijah would come. And so for a Jewish believer, this is huge, that Elijah came on this mountain at this time when Jesus is going to be glorified. Elijah has come. Like, this was such a central theme to the Jewish believers. When they would, when they would celebrate the Passover, right, their, their big feast, Thanksgiving, for, for us maybe, when they would celebrate the Passover, they would leave an extra seat at the table for Elijah in hopes that he would come. That's how big this prophecy of Elijah the prophet would come before. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, three Jews, up on a mountain. And here appear Moses, the greatest leader, and Elijah, the greatest prophet who they've been waiting on. And Jesus' face and his body change and they're going to hear a voice. And this voice is going to be very, very important in confirming something for them. Let's go to verse 32. Now, Peter and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, were heavy with sleep. Do you notice they're always asleep, right? On the boat, they're asleep. Here, they're asleep. The Garden of Gethsemane, they're asleep. They're always asleep. But when they became fully awake, now, Let's picture this. I always try to put myself in this story. You're Peter. You're snoozing up on a mountain. Jesus praying. 
Apparently he prays for a long time. You fall asleep, okay? You start to wake up. And all of a sudden, as you wake up, kind of rub your eyes, you see three people, Jesus being one, they're glowing, their faces are changed. You're like, oh, wait, that's Moses. Oh, that's Elijah. What? As he's he's waking up. They became fully awake and they saw the glory of the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting, again, wrap your mind around this. They wake up, they see these guys talking. Elijah and Moses are like, all right, Jesus, peace, we'll see you later. They start to leave. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. I wish I knew the tone behind that. Is that a question? Master, is it good that we're here? Or is it like, oh, Master, it's good we're here. I don't know. Peter's really confused. I love Peter. He always talks first, doesn't he? He always just like shoot first, ask questions later type of guy. Always going to say what he's thinking. Master, it's good that we're here. And this is so, let, let us make three tents. That's his first idea. All the things he could have said. Tents. That's what we need right now. Let's go camping, right? One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, because I don't want their heads to get wet if it rains. What? Let us make three tents. And and Luke even says, he's not knowing what he says. He's so scared to death. He's just like talking. Like, it's good for us to be here, right? Let's, Let's camp. Verse 34, as he was saying these things, let's picture this. A cloud came and overshadowed them. So, so picture this like really heavy fog, cloud, mysterious thing kind of envelops them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Like they're scared to death. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in these days of anything they had seen. Now, is that not a weird story? They're asleep. They wake up. Here are their two heroes of the faith talking with Jesus. Jesus' body and face has changed. He's glowing. They wake up. They're confused. They're scared to death. All of a sudden, this cloud comes down, and they hear this voice that says, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Now, again, if you're, if you're Peter, James, and John, you're, you've, been, you've been in... Uh, in school, in the synagogue, Torah school, you've learned these promises. If you learned, you believe that Elijah will come. And now you've just seen Elijah with Jesus. And now you hear a voice that says, hey, this is my son. Listen to him. This was a mark in these believers' life that changed everything for them. Everything. So, here's the other question. Why is this in Luke's gospel? What's happening here? What is Luke trying to communicate to us? And here's my answer. I don't know. That's my answer. Because I, I, I read all kinds, of, uh, all kinds of 
people, old dead guys, on what they said is going on. And everyone says something different because there's a mystery, there's a mystery here. Some say it's this announce, it's, it's like this time where the new kingdom finally comes. Remember Jesus has been saying like, hey, uh, the kingdom is at hand. And some people say like, hey, this is this mark where it's like the kingdom has arrived. Other people will say it's this old covenant and this new covenant coming together up on the mountain. And I'm trying to understand as I read this, why, why is Luke saying this? I kept asking that with our team that studies these passages. I said, okay, why is Luke putting this in his gospel? Why? I'm trying to wrap my mind around this all week. And I'm going to let the Bible answer that. This is the writer of Hebrews, which is in your New Testament. We don't know who wrote this. But here's what this writer says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, he's writing to Jewish believers here. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Here's what he's saying. Many, through many years, God's been speaking to our forefathers promising something to come. Here's what he says. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed, this son, the heir of all things. And this son, whom also he created the world. And this son, he is the radiance of the glory of God. The radiance. Like you've seen the glory of God when you see this glorified Jesus. And he is the exact imprint of his nature, God's nature. And he, the Son, upholds the universe by the word of his power. And this Son, after making purification for sin, after dying on the cross, resurrecting, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Why did Luke put this in? Here's why I think. So we don't turn Jesus into a nice, hippie guy that did good things. That's why. He is not that. He is this ferociously scary, glorified Son of God that is our hope. I think Luke put this in that we would have this high view of Jesus because for these disciples, I'm telling you, we're going to see in a second, like it changed everything for them. And they are scared to death on this mountain. So scared that Peter has no idea what to say and just starts rambling when they see this glorified Christ. I, we tell you this all the time. Listen, we must decide what to do with Jesus. Either he is this glorified son of God that sparks fear in people or he's a crazy lunatic that lied. The whole Jesus is a nice guy, Jesus is my homeboy, does not work. Peter's not going to look at this like, Jesus, you're my homeboy. No. Peter's going to fall down like you are the son of God. That we would have this high view of Jesus and see him as the promised Messiah. I think that's what Luke's doing. He's joining together the Old Testament, all these promises, the law and the prophets. And he's showing us that Jesus has now come, fulfilling those, was glorified and now is at the right hand of God, sitting in honor and glory. Now again, this moment, it's huge for these disciples. I've already told you how they died. And, and, I'll, and I'll say this. Um, I'll, we'll make up a few things and I'll have some fun with them. I'm not dying for something I don't believe in. 
it changed these guys' lives. Matter of fact, Peter will write about this in, in one of his letters, Second Peter. He said this. This is Peter talking. For we do not follow cleverly devised myths. Here's what Peter's saying. Like, listen, the disciples and I, we didn't get in a room and just make this up. That's what he says. When we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we didn't make this up, but we were, listen to him, eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, this is on that transfiguration, and the voice was born to him in the, by the majestic glory, quote, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. So again, when you see Peter getting ready to go to the cross and says, no, put me upside down, it's not because Peter just kind of believes something. Peter has seen it. And his sight, what he saw with his eyes was enough to say, I will give everything. And don't you dare even put me up even close to exalted like Jesus was. Put me upside down. It changed everything for him. New Testament says we, we walk by faith and not by sight. Peter, James, and John walked by sight. And it changed everything. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this story, right? Again, it's not a, a nice little story I can help. Here's three things that you can relate to. Like, I don't know how you relate to this story. Here's two ideas. The first one's about Jesus. This is pretty cool. Second one, maybe, will encouragement to you. Um, here's how, what I hope you learn about Jesus today. That the Bible is not, because this is what I grew up thinking, the Bible is not, is, is not just this collection of random stories thrown together and all of a sudden Jesus comes on the scene. That this Bible, the one that you hold in your hands, is a story over many, many, many years all pointing to this Jesus that would come and that the whole Old Testament is pointing to him. So my goal for you this morning in hearing this is to look at your Bible and say, there is something mysterious here, and it's God's Word. And I want to learn more about this. And I can't just throw out the Old Testament. I hope one of the things you're hearing as we go through the book of Luke, how much Old Testament we're bringing into this, like you have to understand the Old to really make sense of the New. There's a big danger in just reading the New Testament apart from knowledge of what's going on in history. But I hope you see that all of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. Jesus will say that about himself in Luke 24. He says this. This is after he's resurrected. He's come to disciples. He's like, guys, listen. These are my words I spoke to you while I was with you. That everything written about me and the law of Moses. You know what Jesus says? Hey, the law of Moses, it's about me. And the prophets. There's the law and the prophets. And the Psalms that it must be fulfilled. He'll keep going. He'll say this. Thus is written... The Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Here's what Jesus said. Guys, this, my message I've told you the whole time I was alive, you know why I said it? Because that's what the Old Testament says. It all points to me. So my hope this morning is that you would maybe have this stirring of awe for Jesus. Maybe a little stirring of this awe of the Old Testament, this Hebrew Bible that's really weird and sometimes hard to understand, that it would stir in you something like, you know what? I may try to approach this some. 
I may not throw out Leviticus. Let me learn it a little bit. Like start to understand what's written about Jesus in the Old Testament. Like as your elders, it's our heart for our church that we be deep, people deep in Scripture. Understanding, which is why you come every week. It's not three things to help your marriage. I want you to know Jesus and know the Hebrew Scriptures appointed to Jesus. Maybe that means for you, jump in that process of Bible study class where over a few weeks you'll learn how to approach any passage of Scripture and actually learn what it says. Maybe you jump into that. My, my, my first goal for you today is that your affections for Jesus, your awe of Jesus, your wonder of Him might be stirred. Okay, now if there's any application, here, here it is for you. There's a beautiful promise in the Gospels that is our hope. And we don't maybe talk about this as much as I should. Um, you know how Jesus was glorified up on the mountain? His face was, was glorified and his, like he glowed. Remember reading that? That's you one day. Like, what? Yes, it's called glorification. So when we talk about salvation here, there's three things. There's justification. That's when God declares you by faith. God declares you innocent. There's sanctification. That's you becoming more like Christ. And then the third part that's not yet happened is glorification. And that is this, that though your bodies are wasting away and you will one day die, that when Jesus comes back, he will resurrect your bodies so eternity is not you up in the clouds with angel week playing a harp. That's not eternity. Eternity is Jesus coming back to this earth, re- kicking out evil, restoring this to original creation, and you in a glorified body just like Jesus reigning here forever. That is heaven. So I hope that you will see this deep hope that motivated all these disciples and apostles to keep going is that one day you will be glorified just like Jesus. You are destined for glory if you're in Christ. Now why do I need to know this? Because a life following Jesus guarantees suffering. That's why. It guarantees it. And for these New Testament believers, like that hope of glory, hope of their glorified bodies is what kept them going. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, 18. Paul says, listen, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and hear me, Paul knew suffering, tortured, killed. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So I hope you look at this passage of Jesus changing and you get a glimpse of, you know what, that's me. That's me. Like me. Broken, sinful, body wasting away. One day I'll be glorified just like this. It's the hope of what it means to be in Christ. So maybe today this will be an encouragement for you. In the midst of your suffering, I don't know what you're suffering through right now. And some of you are young and you're like, suffering, I stubbed my toe once. Like, there's some deep suffering coming. Deep suffering coming. We have men and women in this crowd that have walked through kids who have um, almost died. Maybe some that have. 
walked with parents as, as they've gone on, have had to bury spouses, like suffering's coming. But in the midst of that suffering, there is this deep hope of what will come. And we cannot lose sight of that as believers. And so maybe an encouragement for you in, in the midst of what you're going through, this momentary suffering, this momentary afflictions, in the, in the midst of that, that you would look to this promised glorified future. So here's what I tell you, brothers and sisters. In your fight against sin that so easily takes over you, may you have hope that one day that will be defeated forever. In your fight against depression that so easily just comes over you like a cloud, may you have hope that the present suffering does not compare to the glory that will come. In your fight against anxiety that can just come on you at any moment and all these things around you, may you have this hope that one day all that will be done and I will be glorified. May I keep going. When people spread rumors about you and talk about you, may you have hope that that does not define you. There's this future glory in your battles and your struggles with infertility and your broken relationships and the addictions that you're wrestling with and you hate and you want to, and the abuse you've felt and you've experienced. And like in all these things, the message of the gospel is Jesus is over them all. He has defeated them all and one day he will defeat them in you and you will be glorified forever. That's the promise of eternity. So that may that give you hope. So as you think about Jesus on a mountain, glowing white, may you see yourself and notice there's hope and keep going. Don't give up. Because that's what I see in Matthew, or in uh, Peter, James, and John. They kept going. 